It's good to be with you this morning. Um, hope you're doing well. Hope your week is off to a good start. I know for us, we were happy to hear that the boys really enjoyed uh, their new teachers, and so we're excited about them learning in school um, and being with their friends. Uh, they actually have Mr. Shackle in class, so that's exciting. Yeah, yeah, it's good stuff. So, yeah. I've already heard good things, so. Uh, we are in our sermon series. We are one. We're going to wrap up this sermon series today. And what we're doing in this series is we're taking a look at what does it mean to be a part of the body of Christ? What's the privilege of it? What's the responsibility of it? And so one of the things that we learned is that the body of Christ is one body, yet it's made up of many parts. And each part, which is each of you, has gifts and talents to offer to the rest of the body. And when you do that, that's when the body of Christ thrives, that's when it's healthy. When you don't do that, every part of the body then suffers. So this is really important stuff. And so we've been looking at 1 Corinthians 12, and then you get to 1 Corinthians 13, which some of you know automatically it is the chapter on what? Love. It's the passage of scripture that is often read at weddings. What on earth is this passage doing here? You have Paul talking about 1 Corinthians 12. It's all about gifts in the church and using those for the edification, the building up of the church. And then he goes to this chapter that seems so out of place on talking about love. And then he goes back into like 1 Corinthians 14. He's talking more about gifts in the church. And is it out of place? No. It is so brilliantly placed right here. And we're going to see why it's so brilliantly placed. Often we think about this chapter in terms of love between a husband and a wife. And it surely applies to that. But the reason why Paul wrote it is, it be, it, it, is it's because love is supposed to be the currency by which we interact with one another in the body of Christ. This chapter is all about my relation to you guys, your relation to me, your relationship to one another. It's remarkable. So let's check out what Paul has to say about love. And we're going to be answering the questions of why is love the supreme value of the church? What exactly is love? Every time I say that, I automatically always think of the Saturday Night Live sketch. Always, like millions of times this week, that song has been playing in my head. It will be while I'm up here. Maybe it's playing in your head now. Third question we'll answer is, what does love got to do with? No, we won't do that. Third question what we will answer is, what is the third question we're gonna, oh, how can that kind of love radiate from us, right? All right, so we're going to check it out. Let me read to you 1 Corinthians 13. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long in his kind. 
Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It is not puffed up. Does not behave rudely. Does not seek its own. Is not provoked. Thinks no evil. Does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Bears all things. Believes all things. Hopes all things. Endures all things. Love never fails. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know, just as I also am known. And now abide faith, hope, love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. All right, so the big idea is everything in the local church is to be done in love. Let's check out the supreme, love is the supreme value of the church, which means the local church as well. Now, Paul, in order for us to see just how supremely valuable love is, he gives three different examples. And he describes a person with really three different people with three different extraordinary gifts. The first one is in verse one, though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but have not love. Now, what Paul's referring to is the spiritual gift of speaking in tongues. And if you're a cessationist, you believe that that, that, that gift no longer um, happens like it did before because before it was people speaking in a language that they didn't know but that their hearers knew, like speaking in a foreign, foreign language that they never spoke in around a person who understands that language, talking to them about God. If you're a continuationist, you believe that um, the spiritual gift is still operating Um, in the church and it may not operate just like with speaking a totally different language that was known to the hearer to somebody you know that's listening but that it is also um, just uh, it can be talk that is uh, a language between you and God that you are benefiting from so we'll talk about that at some point but no matter what you think about this spiritual gift Paul is imagining a guy that speaks in tongues, but also in the tongues of angels. Some scholars believe that angels have their own language by which they communicate. And so Paul's imagining, even if you could speak in tongues and speak the language of angels, if you have not love, then you're nothing more than a clanging symbol. Um... I don't know about you, uh, if you have kids, but do boy, all boys start to like just make random noises at the age of eight or nine that just drive you crazy as parents? <laughs> so we're not the, 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 the uh, lone parents here. Um, Paul, his audience would have known what clanging symbols would have sounded like, because in Corinth, they majored in, uh, they, were, they produced bronze. And in their worship of their gods and goddesses, they used symbols that would just 
you know, be clanging. And so when Paul was speaking to his audience, he would have known exactly what they were talking about. A clanging cymbal is just annoying, right? It just drives you crazy. It's repetitive. It's harsh. It's abrasive. It doesn't make any music. If we can speak the tongues of men and angels and have not love, we are nothing more than an annoying, abrasive sound. Paul goes on to mention another person with an extraordinary gift. Check this out. Paul continues. Though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could move mountains, all knowledge, all faith, knowing all mysteries, can you imagine? Imagine how much of a gift that is. Spontaneous revelations from God, the secret things of God. You know these things, and yet, if you have not loved, you are a zero. And then Paul goes on, and he's, he, he thinks of a person, all right, so you've got a person that gives all their goods to feed the poor. And what's more, they're willing to be burned at the stake for their devotion uh, to God. These are remarkable things, right? To give all your land, to give all your money, to give all your resources, to feed the poor. This is, this is tremendous. To be willing to be burned for your devotion. Quite remarkable. And yet Paul says, if there is not love, the person performing them gains nothing. What Paul wants to be clear on is the absolute supremacy and necessity of love in the body of Christ. It is so important. Because here's the thing, if we are not ruled by God's love, we can be burned at the stake. But it can be all about, look at my devotion to God, right? It can all be all about me. We can, we can give all our stuff to the poor, but if we have not love, it's like, look at me. Look at my sacrifice. If we are not ruled by God's love, it is so easy to use the gifts he's given us for our own gain and selfish ambition. Think about a person that has all knowledge and knows all mysteries. And if they don't have love, do you know how dangerous of a person that would be? Oh my goodness. Dangerous. Now... I remember hearing a guy talk about leaders he was developing. I remember reading this story, and he had a group of leaders, and, and there was a whole group um, that were just kind of, you know, they had <laughs> mediocre gifts and abilities and talents. And there was one guy who had extraordinary gifts and talents. And know what the guy said? He, he was saying, we need to pray for not the ones with, like, average gifts and abilities, but the one with great gifts and abilities because the temptation is the more you are gifted to use those gifts for your own glory all right so now what is love right what what um what does paul mean by love if it's the supreme value what is it love seeks the highest good of others that's how i would sum up everything paul mentions here let me just go through these with you what does it mean to suffer long it means to be patient when somebody offends you or hurts you. It means not to immediately just repay them for the offense. It means to 
Be slow and withhold judgment so that there's time for repentance and reconciliation to happen. That's what it means to suffer long. Kindness, he says, suffer long, uh, love, love suffers long and is kind. What is kindness? It's the quality of being friendly, generous, and considerate. If somebody causes you trouble and they're in need of a rebuke, well, you can do that still in a kind, considerate, yet firm way. Um, the God who we serve is both long-suffering and kind. Check out this. How one, this is how one commentator put it. On the one hand, God's loving forbearance is demonstrated by his holding back his wrath towards human rebellion. On the other hand, his kindness is found in the thousandfold expressions of his mercy. Isn't that cool? Love does not envy. You know, it's okay to admire other people for certain qualities that they have or certain positions in life that they have. If somebody you, you know has a good marriage, it's okay to admire them and to desire that marriage for yourself. If somebody, you know, is doing well in business, it's okay to admire them for their skills and abilities and their success in business. Jealousy is when you want some something that somebody else has and you're like, it should be mine and I am angry because I don't have it. Envy is even a step further down that dangerous path because envy says, I don't have what they have, and I want it and should have it, and I despise them for having it. That's what envy is. Um, envy is this hot mess of comparison, ingratitude, selfishness, all mixed together. And throw some, a lot of discontentment in there. Have you heard that comparison is the enemy of joy? So true. Envy, which includes comparison, but is so much more. If comparison is the enemy of joy, you better believe envy will steal all your joy. Love does not parade itself. Why are we envious? Why do we want what others have and why do we resent them for having it? The answer, I believe, is we want to be on top. We want to be on top. We want to be king of the hill. We want bragging rights. We want to be able to parade ourselves around as something to look at. That's why we're so envious. We want the world to see our accomplishments. We want glory. We want praise, we want affirmation, we want validation that our life matters. We want to justify our existence. That's why we are so envious. Love does not parade itself around. It does not boast. It's not always declaring, look at me, look at me, look at me. Um, We've talked about how Facebook or social media is such a dangerous, it's just a hot bed for envy, jealousy, comparison, all of those things, right? And it's because we want to be on top. Look, a person full of love is able to celebrate other people's accomplishments. Can you celebrate other people's accomplishments, like genuinely? Uh, Real love 
is able to celebrate other people's accomplishments because real love realizes that their success is has mainly to do with what God has done in them. You know, um, it was God. Like so, if you're celebrating somebody else's accomplishments. Um, I think you can realize that, look, God is blessing them. And when you have accomplishments, you can realize, like, look, I can't even really take credit for it because ultimately God has given me the ability to have this success. Um, love is not puffed up. Why do we want to be on top? So if we're envious because we want to be on top, why do we want to be on top? Because we are puffed up. What does that mean? It means we are proud. And this is, I've said this before, this is so good. Uh, C.S. Lewis and Mere Christianity. Pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having more of it than the next man. We say that people are proud of being rich or clever or good looking, but they are not. They are proud of being richer or cleverer or better looking than others. If someone else became equally rich or clever or good looking or good looking, there would be nothing to be proud about. It is the comparison that makes you proud, the pleasure of being above the rest. Once the element of competition has gone, pride has gone. I was just, uh, like, uh, two weeks ago, I was talking to a guy in the corporate world, and he's pretty high up in the food chain of a pretty big company. And he was saying, there is so much money at the top, but he was saying, it's not about the money. The, the people at the top, he said, they have more money than they know what to do with. So it's not, it's not about the money. You know what it's about? Having more money than the other CEO over there. That's what it's about. And so that drives everything. Love is not puffed up. It is not proud. It's not overly self-confident and insubordinate to God and others. It is God-confident, God-dependent. And it gladly comes under the submission of others. It's okay with playing second fiddle. Are you able to do that? Can you come under the submission and authority of other people? Are you okay with playing second fiddle? <clears throat> Love does not behave rudely. A rude person ignores the likes and dislikes of another person. They're abrasive, right? They're impolite and ill-mannered. They're unnecessarily offensive. Just don't care about the feelings of others. Love does not behave rudely. Love does not seek its own. The person who's full of love enjoys sacrificing for the good of others, right? They seek the highest good of others. They love others with the same intensity by which they love themselves. The person who is full of love is really content to see other people's needs are met, even if it means that they're going to have to go without some of their needs met. I would say that the person that is full of love has a wonderful, healthy self-forgetfulness. They're just not thinking about themselves. They're just not. Love is not provoked. The person who is full of love is not easily angered. That's what it means that they're not provoked. Why? Because they're not constantly walking around on the planet, constantly looking to see if all their rights are being met. 
and they're not always looking for the slightest offense to what they believe is theirs and what, what, is, what they deserve. They're not, this, this, that's not a part, that's just not their, how they view things. They're not walking away around like that. Love is not easily offended. So many people are so easily offended. Right? When love gets angry, it's almost always about the mistreatment of others. Not about, you know, oh, what was me? Somebody offended me again. And love thinks no evil. Other translations say keeps no records of wrongs. Keeps no record of wrongs, which I think is what the intent here is with thinks no evil. The person full of love, they don't have this steel trap memory that latches on to everything that has been done wrong to them and like can't forgive it and is constantly like uh, thinking negatively of the person who committed the wrong and is just lost in that. Love forgives and moves on. It doesn't like rehearse on how to get even with the, with the person. And when records are kept, because Paul, he kept records of the Corinthians. He was calling them out. And I will say calling them up instead of calling them out. That's important. He kept some records of the wrong, but it was always with the motivation to restore and to build up, not to destroy. Love does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth. The person who's permeated by love rejoices um, when people are living godly. They don't rejoice at all in their own sin or in the sin of others. They know how deadly and destructive sin is. Often, one of the deadly sins that is untruthful is gossip. The person full of love is able in a conversation where gossip is starting to take place. They're able to say, we need to stop this conversation because what we're doing here without that person here is not right. Love bears, believes, hopes, endures all things. In other words, love doesn't give way easily. It bears and it endures even when it is challenged by another person's failing. It's always eager to believe the best in others. Its mode of operation is to give other people the benefit of the doubt and to, until proven otherwise. It's optimistic because love knows, true love knows that God can change any heart. Love never fails. In other words, love is permanent. That's what never fails means. It's permanent. It will go on forever. Prophecy one day isn't going to be needed. Knowledge isn't going to be needed. When we stand and we are in the very presence of King Jesus, you know, we're not going to need prophecy. We're going to have unhindered access to God, unhindered by sin. But love will continue in the new world forever. Those other things, they will cease to be needed, but not love. Um, 
Only faith, hope, and love will remain, but the greatest of these is love. All right, supreme value of love. What is love? Now, third question is, how can you radiate love? There are two parts to this that I find embedded in this text. 1 Corinthians 13, 12 gives us the first part of the answer, which is the most important part, and it is this. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know, just as I am also known. The, the, the last part of the sentence is the key. Who is Paul known by? Who is he fully known by? God. He is not only fully known, but he is also fully loved by God. It is time to take the medicine. Is that what that is? I don't know. I love it. Sorry. Sorry for embarrassing you. Uh, or something bad's about to happen. A bomb's about to go off. Love. Paul is fully known by God, fully loved by God. God's knowledge of Paul isn't partial, it isn't growing. Time again. God knows Paul better than Paul knows himself. And Paul knows that in Christ, um, Christ embodied love in such a way that when Paul was on the hunt to, to murder Christians, Christ pursued him, Christ's love didn't fail on him, Christ's love was patient with him, Christ's love was long-suffering with Paul, and it broke in to Paul's life, rescued him from the pit, restored him, adopted him in the God's family, forgave his iniquities. Paul knew this. The key, the key to being able to love in the way that we're talking about in 1 Corinthians 13 is that you must first really know deeply and drink deeply from the love of God. I love how Tim Keller explains this in one of his sermons. He says this, before love is something you do, it's got to be someone you've met. He then goes on to, to explain that um, if you haven't met someone who has filled the deepest part of your heart with love, the, the deepest part of your soul with love, you will be short on love. As a result, the good things that you do will be driven by using people in attempt to fill your love tank. Every charitable deed, if not coming from the fullness of love, will be an attempt to steal and respect love from other people. In other words, your good deeds will really be about you. Keller goes on, he goes on to say, he, where can you find a love that satisfies the deepest parts of your soul? Can you find it in a spouse? No, they'll ultimately fail you. Can you find it in your parents? No, there are no perfect parents. They will ultimately fail you. Can you find it in your kids? No, they will fail you. And by the way, all of them will die. And what if you're surviving? Where can you find this love that really satisfies the soul? And it's, through, it's God. Only God can give a, a love us with a never-failing love, fill us with it, 
and change our hearts so we have it to give to others and are able to. That's the first step. And so I ask you this morning, have you received the love of Christ into your life, the repentance and faith? Have you turned to him and said, like, I have been stiff-arming you. I have been trying to be my own master. I've been trying to find this deep love that would satisfy, satisfy my soul in all the wrong places. I turn to you, God, the lover of my soul in Christ, the only one that can really fill my love tank full. If you haven't done that, you're going to struggle to love. Because all your attempts will really just be, it will just be about trying to gain love. Because you're not full. Alright, second part of loving the way that Paul talks about here in 1 Corinthians 13 is you must choose to put away your childish ways. This is what Paul says. He said, hey, I used to think like a child, act like a child, but I have put away my childish ways. That is Paul making a choice and a decision to love. You will not be able to love if you are ruled by your emotional state. If your feelings and your thoughts at any given time are running your life, you will not love. Because those negative feelings and emotions that start pulsating through us when we're hurt or when we're offended, what they lead to is childish behavior. And so you have to make a decision to say, no, I am not acting in these childish ways. I am choosing love irregardless of what is going on inside of me right now. My emotional state doesn't determine my behavior. This is critical. And the reason that you're able to do this if you are in Christ is because God, as Romans 5 tells us, he has poured out his love into our hearts through Christ Jesus. As a new creation in Christ, you already have the love of God in you. And so you have it to dispense. But you must choose. You must choose it. Choose it. And you have the freedom to now choose to say no to childish behaviors and to say yes to love because the power of sin is decisively broken in your life because you are in Christ. And so no matter what situation you find yourself in, no, no matter what situation you, you find yourself in that you're hurt, you're offended, you have the power, child of God, to act in love. Love is the supreme value of the local church. Love seeks the highest good of others. Love permeates the local church when its members experience God's love and choose to put away their childish ways to act in love. Um, so, this morning, let me ask those of you who are really active here in the church, let me ask you this question. Why? Why are you so active? Um, are you serving from the fullness of love in Christ? Or are you, 
in all your charitable deeds that you do here in attempt to steal respect and love from other people? Are you truly serving people or are you just trying to use them to fill your own love tank? And let me ask you, and think about this past week, and this is for everyone. Have you let your emotional state drive you into childish behavior? Or are you exercising the freedom you now have in Christ to love? Let's pray. Um, imagine a church that, like, the culture of the church is like love, 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 like just flowing through. Jesus said what? They will know you are my disciples because of your love for one another. And guess what? If people know that we're Jesus' disciples through that, they're eventually going to know that Jesus is king and have the opportunity to submit to him or not. Right? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much that we are one, that you, through your work on the earth and on the cross, you have died for us, you've shed your blood to unify us into one body. We're so thankful that it doesn't matter our station outside of these walls, that we all have equal value in Christ. We all have gifts and abilities to give to one another. Lord, thank you for the reminder that that has to be done in love. Um, at best, if it's not done in love, it matters. It doesn't matter at all. And at worst, it can do great destruction. Even our good deeds, so-called good deeds, if they're from the wrong motivation. Lord, thank you also for the reminder. If you look at, I'm just reminded as I'm praying, Lord, is that if we look at the rest of Corinthians... Paul wants to make sure that people don't think that love is just this warm, fuzzy thing all the time. That, that love, because it loves another person, is willing to call people up. Not just out. Calling them up to, who, to remind them and to see them become all that they are created anew in Christ to be. And so we thank you for that reminder, too. We see that in the rest of Corinthians. Lord, may we be a church that is so just love is everywhere and it's flowing freely. And people know that we are different uh, because of that. And that that our love attracts them to you, the one where they can ultimately find the deepest love, the love that satisfies so that now they can act in love, not uh, to try and get love because they already have it in you, but to dispense it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.